And now we've come to the exciting portion of our morning worship service where up is down and confusion is cleared. It's time to play the game of true or false where you learn everything you've wanted to know but were afraid to ask about this new sermon series called Growing Together. Here's how the game is played. We'll read a statement and you have three seconds to decide if it's true or false. At the sound of the bell, you'll receive immediate feedback letting you know whether or not you have the correct answer. Ready to play? Okay, first statement. The trend with churches all across America is that the overall age of the attenders is getting younger, and as a result, the churches are growing numerically. You decide, true or false? And the answer is false. (laughs) The universal trend is actually the opposite. Churches are, in fact, getting older and they're shrinking. It's not only happening in isolated spots, but in all denominations and in all churches throughout America. Next statement. Fortunately, there are churches that are beating the odds and defying this downward trend. True or false? And the answer is true. Nationwide research has been conducted on a number of churches that have discovered how to stay vibrant, connect all generations, attract people of all ages, and actually grow. These successful churches run the gamut of being different in size, in their ethnic makeup, their age, their location, and their history. Okay, the last statement. These successful churches all have excellent and well-trained staff that are leading the way and carrying out the majority of the work. True or false? The answer is mostly false. While these successful churches have paid leadership who share a vision about reaching people, one of the key principles in these churches growing is the involvement of lay leadership, both young and old. There is a dynamic sense of working together, hand in hand, with a common goal of being Christ to all people. Thanks for playing today. Now let's learn even more about growing together. Well, now, when you play a game show, don't you usually win some money? How much money did we win this morning? That's that's what I want to find out. Well, our church has been involved in, in recent months, almost a year now, in an emphasis called Growing Young, and it's named after the book by that title, Growing Young. The Fuller Youth Institute has been doing a lot of research over the last several years looking at how is it that we can grow and retain and encourage and invite into the leadership ranks young people ages 15 to 29 given some church realities that are occurring. Primarily, our congregations are getting older and also declining church attendance on Sunday morning. So the team that has been working with our Growing Young Emphasis decided that we wanted a different uh, title that seemed to be more inclusive and comprehensive of what we hope is going to happen. So we're calling our emphasis Growing Together because the reality is when all of us join hands and we work together regardless of our age, we grow numerically, we grow spiritually, we grow in the likeness of Jesus, we grow together. So that's 
what we're going to be looking at over the next six Sundays. And you can see the two boards to my side, Growing Together, has six core principles. And one of the first principles that we're going to look at today is called Key Chain Leadership. Key Chain Leadership. Let me start by telling you a couple of personal stories. When I was about 11 or 12 years old, the pastor at my home church in Raleigh, Creedmoor Road Baptist Church, asked me during vacation Bible school, during the opening and closing assemblies, he asked me to run the film strip projector. Any of you all remember the old film strip projectors? Now you really are showing your age, along with me. Now, I just want the folks upstairs to know that I was the first technical worker at Creedmoor Road Baptist Church running the film strip projector. You know, the little film strip goes through and you just turn it and it pulls up the scripture or a prayer or a song or something related to the vacation Bible school emphasis. So, so I was 11 or 12 years old and I did that for a couple of sun, summers. And then a year or two later, Claude Bennett came to David Averett and me. Now, David's a year younger, and I'm about 14 at the time, and David's about 13. By the way, David now is a bivocational pastor and a high school principal up above the Raleigh area. And he came, Claude Bennett was one of our deacons, and he was in charge of property and space, and he wanted to know if we two boys would be willing to mow the church grass that summer. So we got a key to the shed where the, lawn, the push mower, not the riding lawnmower, the push mower was kept. And collectively, between the two of us, we pushed the churchyard five to six hours a week combined for the grand sum of $7 a week that we split. Big money. Big money. Then a year or two later, our church was doing a Christmas pageant. And they wanted some young people involved in it. And I was asked to uh, be in one of those roles in the pageant. And then, very soon, they had Baptist Men Sunday. And they wanted three or four Baptist men to speak. So they selected one of the older men in our church, who was in his early 50s. At least he seemed really old to me at the time. And then they selected somebody in their mid-30s. And then they wanted a young person. And so at age 16, they asked Greg Rogers to be one of the preachers for Baptist Men Sunday. And then fast forward a couple of years. It's the spring of my senior year in high school. And my pastor, this same pastor, Grady Long, came to me and he said, How would you like to come to work for me this summer? And I'm thinking manual labor. Anytime, you know, there's something need, needing to be done, mowing the yard, something along that line, manual labor. How would you like to come to work for me this summer? And then he surprised me by saying, I'd like for you to be our summer youth minister. This was the summer after I was getting ready to graduate from high school. And so that summer, I was my home church's summer youth minister. And then I was accepted into a program by the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina Youth Corps where they place 
uh, a college student in a local church to be a youth minister for a summer. And there was a church in eastern North Carolina that was looking for a summer youth minister. And so Oakmont Baptist Church called me to be their summer youth minister for two summers. And then towards the end of my college and on into seminary, I served Garner United Methodist Church as the director of youth and education, and then came back here in 1983 for more leadership roles. It's called key chain leadership. Those who are mature, veteran followers of Jesus give a young person a chance to shine and to try out their gifts and their abilities and believe in them and trust in them. Now, I just want you to take a minute. Think back professionally. Think back in the life of your church. Think back with maybe a member of your family. Who was it that gave you your chance? Who was it? Just think for a minute. And if we had enough time, it'd really be a lot of fun to just have people stand up and say, so-and-so gave me my first chance in my profession. So-and-so invited me to do something in the life of my church. A family member gave me the opportunity to be in charge of fill in the blank. Who gave you your chance? Who gave you your first opportunity? Who was it that practiced keychain leadership? Now I want you to know something about your church here, Oakmont. Keychain leadership is in the DNA of Oakmont Baptist Church. I remember from the get-go doing these new member classes that we called Oakmont 101 at the time. Now we call it Connecting Conversations. And I'd always invite the charter members to come in and tell the story of how Oakmont began. And towards the end, they all would say, but usually, Sylvia, it was your mother, Grace Carraway. Grace would say to the group of of new folks who had come in. They were not all, you know, younger folks, but many of them were. She would say, now we helped to start the church and we've served all these years, but we are so excited that you young people are here and we are now glad to turn it all over to you. You remember that, Sylvia? It's keychain leadership. That's what it is. So this morning, I want us to focus on how we can grow together by practicing keychain leadership. And God uses people of all ages to be involved in keychain leadership. First of all, God uses folks who are older. And I want to ask uh, Susan Little to come up and read some scripture for a minute. Susan, you're young like me, but you come on up here for a minute. Ken Savoy was supposed to read our scripture, and Ken, something got into your throat this morning. And you can't read. But Susan has said she would come and read. And Susan's going to read a passage of Scripture. Take your Bibles. Turn to Numbers chapter 11. She's going to read a passage of Scripture about Moses feeling overwhelmed with the work of ministry. And I want you to notice who comes to the rescue in Numbers 11. Susan, thank you for coming and reading. Okay. Okay. Moses heard the people of every family wailing, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all of these people? Did I give them birth? 
Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing on me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, put me to death right now. If I have found favor in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's leaders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. <clears throat> now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. Thank you, Susan, for reading that scripture for us. Now, I want you to notice that in this text, God brings alongside Moses 70 of the elders, of the leaders of Israel, to come along and share the load with him. Now, in addition to Moses, God uses a lot of different characters of people who are older. He has quite a history, God does, of involving people who are older in the work of his kingdom. And by the way, I don't want you to forget that Moses, guess how old he was when God first called him at the burning bush? He was 80 years old. God didn't finish with him until he was 120 years old. I want you to notice that. Besides Moses, God calls out a lot of folks who are old. Noah was a person who was of older age. Abraham and Sarah were older in their 80s and 90 when their son Isaac was born. Naomi, who was the mother-in-law of Ruth, the Old Testament book of Ruth. Naomi, God used her. Uh, Simeon and Anna in Luke's birth stories. They are two older folks who recognize the Messiahship of the infant Jesus, of the baby Jesus. Zechariah and Elizabeth are older and then John the Baptist is born. And then we see in the Bible that Timothy, the young uh, colleague of the Apostle Paul, Paul commends Lois, the grandmother, and Eunice, the mother, as having, a big, having played a big role in Timothy's life. So I want you to understand that God has quite a history of using older folks in the work of his kingdom. And I want you to understand that Oakmont is blessed with folks who are older who continue to serve in the work of his kingdom. If you are in that older cohort, if you are in your 80s, if you are in your 70s, if you are in your 60s, if you are even as old as in your 40s and your 50s, I'm putting the 40s and 50s in the older cohort, we got any 40s or 50s in the room? Raise your hand real fast. Y'all are old. <laughs> I, I just wanted to compliment you for a minute, Pam. Y'all are getting old. I want you to know 
that folks who are in their 80s and 70s and 60s and 50s and 40 are having an impact in the life of our church and in our community. They are serving as deacons. They are serving as teachers. They are serving as worship leaders. They are leading and being involved in ministry teams. Many of you are community missionaries. And God is using you. If you fall in that age category... I want you to understand something loud and clear. Retirement is not an option for you. And sitting on the sidelines while the game is going on will not work from God's perspective. We need your experience. We need your gifts. We need your wisdom to help us accomplish the mission statement of our church that says that we're going to connect lives with Christ as the center. So God has a history of using some older folks in the work of his kingdom. But God also has a good history of doing his work through some younger folks as well. I want to ask Jack Carlisle to come. Jack, uh, Jack, this is your senior year in high school, isn't it? All right. Jack's one of the leaders of our youth ministry. And I want Jack to read the passage and turn in, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. And he's going to read... Jesus calling his disciples who are young. And I want you to notice what Jesus charges those disciples to do. Read that for us, Jack. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the Iscariot, who, became, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Thank you, Jack, for reading that scripture for us. You know, God uses a lot of folks to do His work of the younger cohort too. If you go to the Old Testament, we've got the young Joseph who gets sent down to Egypt. And God eventually uses that process to raise him up to second in command to the Pharaoh of Egypt. We've got the young shepherd boy David who kills off the Goliath, the big giant Goliath. And eventually becomes the king of Israel. And also his young son Solomon eventually rises to the place of being king. you got the young prophet Jeremiah. Who in the opening passages, the opening verses of the Old Testament prophecy of Jeremiah. Says to God, God I'm too young, I'm just a child. What can I do? You've got the teenage parents, Mary and Joseph. 
You know, girls that age, if they got much beyond the age of 14, 15, or 16, they were considered old maids. There's a good chance that Mary and Joseph were mid to late teens when Jesus was born. And of course, you've got Timothy, Paul's colleague in ministry whom he mentors and trains and teaches. And then in this text that Jack just read for us, you've got the young Jesus. How old is Jesus at this point? According to the scripture, he's about 30 years old. Seriously now, be honest for a minute. Think and answer to yourself. Would you really have followed Jesus at the age of 30 and heard him proclaim that he's the Messiah, the Savior of the world? At age 30, would you really have followed him? And then he calls 12 teenagers. A lot of these boys were probably in their late teens. They've already begun to embrace probably their own father's occupation of being fishermen. Maybe they're in their early 20s. Jesus calls these young boys and he gives them authority to preach, to teach, to heal, to cast out demons, to proclaim that the kingdom of God is coming wherever they go. I mean, I mean that's just amazing that Jesus is passing on the keys of the kingdom. And in fact, if you turn over to Matthew chapter 16, turn there for a minute, beginning in verse 17. Peter is at Caesarea Philippi. Jesus is there and the other disciples. And Peter has, has affirmed and confessed Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. And look what Jesus says back to Peter in verse 17 of chapter 16 of Matthew. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church. This is a teenage boy. Maybe a young man in his early 20s. You are Peter, and on this rock, the rock of your faith and trust in me, on this rock I will build my church. Jesus is going to build his church on a bunch of teenagers and folks in their early 20s. It's amazing. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And then look at this next verse. I will give you the keys. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now you know Oakmont is equally blessed to have younger folks. We've got folks like Jack Carlisle in their late teens. We've got folks who are in their 20s and folks who are in their 30s. And they also are making an impact on our church and on our community. Some of our 20 and 30 year olds are serving as deacons that you've elected. Some of our 20s and 30 year olds are teaching. They're worship leaders. They're team leaders and team members. They are community missionaries. And if you fall in that category of being in your teens or 20s or 30s, I want you to hear me loud and clear also. Refusal to do kingdom work because of youthfulness or inexperience is not an option. Sitting on the sidelines while the game is on will not work. We need your gifts. 
We need your experience, your perspective, your youthful energy to do what we say our mission statement as a church is, to connect lives with Christ as the center. Now, how do the two cohorts of ages complement each other? Well, this is how it works, very simply. If you're in the older cohort, we still need you to continue to serve. But we also need you to have your radar screens up and running, looking for younger people that you can love, that you can mentor, that you can teach, that you can pass on the keys of leadership to help them take their rightful place of responsibility in the life of our church and in our community. And if you fall in the younger cohort, then we need you to believe in yourself because we believe in you. We believe that God has gifted you and we want you to be open to learning from the wisdom and the experience and the heart of those older folks who are now passing on the keys of leadership in your direction. Some of you have heard the name William Willimon. Will Willimon is a former dean of the chapel at Duke University. He is a former United Methodist Church bishop. He currently is teaching at Duke University. Uh, he's a prolific writer. I think he's written 70-plus books and speaker and conference leader. And his re one of his most recent books is a memoir about his life. And he tells the story in that book of his sophomore year in college. He has gone on a once-in-a-lifetime, at least for him at that point, a once-in-a-lifetime dream trip to Europe. And he's standing in an art museum. Here he is, a sophomore in college at Wofford College in South Carolina. He's standing in an art museum in Amsterdam. And he looks over, and standing a few feet away from him is the famous, renowned Baptist preacher, teacher, writer, Carlisle Marnie. Will Williman had heard Carlisle Marnie speak at Wofford College six months earlier. So he recognized him. And he went over and he spoke to that famed Baptist preacher and teacher and writer, and they got into a conversation. And eventually the conversation led them out of that art museum to all places, a bar in Amsterdam, in, 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 in Europe. And as they're sitting in this bar, Will Williman pours out his heart to Carlisle Marnie. And he tells him that he's been feeling a call in the ministry. He tells him that he thinks he ought to go to seminary. But he feels like some circumstances in his family disqualify him from being in ministry. He tells Carlisle Marnie that his daddy abandoned the family when he was a child. And he comes from a messed up family background and he just wonders if God can use him because his father abandoned his family as a child. This is what Will Willimon says that Carlisle Marnie told him. He said, Son, God will take advantage of any messed up background, crooked daddy, Manipulative mama, read the scriptures for God's sake. I swear I've never known a preacher worth anything. Actually, he said worth something else. I've never known a preacher worth anything who didn't have a bad mama or a daddy problem. 
God can work with either. Be glad you only got one loss for God to take advantage of. Yep, I'm pretty sure God's got your name. Not the first time I've heard this story. You're nobody special. Got God's fingerprints all over it. You know, sometimes all it takes is for one person, one person to come up to us and say, would you run the film strip projector at Vacation Bible School? Here's the key to the shed where the lawnmower is kept. Would you and David Averett mow the grass? We're doing a Christmas play this year. Would you be in it? We've got Baptist Men's Sunday coming up. We need somebody to speak. How about you coming to work for me this summer? Sometimes it's just one person that passes on the keys of responsibility and leadership in our lives, and it changes the course of who we are and what we become. If those folks in my home church had not passed on those keys to me, I can't help but wondering, would I be standing here talking to you today as your pastor? And who is it that God is using right now in the work of His kingdom, in whatever profession you have come from, because you passed on a leadership key to somebody? And who's waiting on the wings in the life of our church right now? And all they're needing to hear is a word of affirmation, a word of invitation, a word of encouragement, a promise of prayer, a key that gives them a job to do. Who is it? And you're the one that God's going to count on to get it done. Let's take a moment to pray together. And as we bow our heads, close our eyes, and as we're in a prayerful spirit, I want you to take just a moment and give God thanks and praise for the person or persons who opened up the door for you, who gave you the key, who gave you the opportunity to prove that you were gifted and you had some ability and talent. They gave you a chance. And then I want you to take another moment and let your radar start working Who in your family, who in your work, who in the life of this church needs to have a key given to them and you're the one that God will use to do it? Take just a moment of prayer to offer that word of thanks and to ask God for His wisdom and guidance in passing on keys to the next generation. Let's pray in silence. God, there's a lot of us this morning that stand on some sturdy shoulders 
We had some people that came before us who laid the foundation, believed in us, opened up doors, and we give thanks for them this day. And Lord, now others are waiting in the wings, and all they need is a word from us that we believe, we trust, we have confidence and faith, we know that you can do whatever God has called you to do. That, that's the word, Lord, that someone needs to hear us say in our family, in our work, in this church, a neighbor, somebody that's going to come into our path, and they need to hear that word. So, Lord, when the opportunity comes, help us to pass on the keys. In Jesus' name, amen.